Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks, Assistant Director at the University of California Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, and I'm joined by my co-host, child and adolescent psychiatrist Dr. Toshi Yamaguchi. Hi, Tosha. Hi. Child and adolescent psychiatrist Dr. Al Atkins. Hi, Al. Hey, everybody. And Yasmin Dakama, who's going to be starting a residency soon. Hi, Yaz. Hi, everyone. The views expressed on Let's Get Psyched are those of the speaker. They do not represent the University of California, UC Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, or UCR's School of Medicine. Let's Get Psyched is not intended to replace mental health assessment and treatment. The information shared on the show is for educational purposes only. Well, so good to have you on this episode of Let's Get Psyched because we're going to talk about the experience, the traumatic experiences of women in Iran. And we are honored to have as our expert guest once again, Dr. Nusheen Ranjbar. Dr. Ranjbar was born and raised in Tehran until emigrating to the U.S. in adolescence. She developed a passion for a holistic view of medicine. She's an associate professor of psychiatry at the University of Arizona. She co-founded the Integrative Psychiatry Program, which focuses on teaching a holistic view of mental health to psychiatrists in training. As a faculty member with the Center for Mind-Body Medicine, she has spearheaded the creation of a Farsi-speaking empowerment and trauma relief program, which mentors Farsi-speaking individuals in an evidence-based small group model of self-care and trauma stress relief. Dr. Ranjbar hopes to return to Iran to support rebuilding a free and prosperous nation. Here's a fun fact about Nusheen. When she was four years old, she wanted to be a flight attendant or a singer or a doctor. And she's done two of those things. Well, Nusheen, thank you for joining us again tonight on Let's Get Psyched. I'm so glad to be here. I wonder if we could uh, start it off with, describe how the state, the experience of women in Iran and how their oppression and treatment of women leads to trauma. Like what specifically is, 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 are they doing and the experience that they are having right now? Uh, so let me start with my own experience. So I grew up in Iran about 36, 37 years ago. I left Iran 35 years ago. But as a little kid, as a little girl uh, growing up, um, I experienced not being able to do many of the things boys were allowed to do, uh, including riding my bike in the street, uh, going out with my friends. Um, I had to cover up head to toe in dark colors um, since I was nine years old because um, that was considered the age of puberty for girls. Um, and in our school systems, we had certain classes we could take that uh, were only for girls and those were making yogurt and like home economics and how to sew and then the boys got to learn, you know, carpentry and whatever else, and engineering and, and, and math and other things. Um, and then uh, I also grew up there during the Iran-Iraq war. So I remember, you know, my mom rushing me to bomb shelters to get away from the bombing, uh, needing to leave the country to try to escape the the war situation and we would run away to Turkey for like two weeks at a time if we could um and I also watched my my 
female family members being very oppressed in their marriages and their work situations. Um, I think I only had one woman family member who had a job, you know, she was a school teacher. Everyone else was stay home, um, cook and clean all day, uh, cover up head to toe, not speak up very much. Um, uh, don't have dissent, don't speak against what, you know, society wants you to think and feel and, and study and do and say, uh, so, so that's just my experience from whatever, 40 years ago, I'm 45 now. Um, and that has continued. So in, in many ways, things are uh, not too different from, from, from 40 years ago when I was growing up there. Girls are still uh, not allowed to speak up, to have their own thoughts, their own opinions. Um, this situation of Masa Amini, who happened to win an award to like go to the big city with her big brother, showed up there. She was 23 years old and she had some strands of hair showing underneath her, her hijab. And they took her into custody and said, you're not dressed appropriately. Um, and they hit her head so hard that she ended up uh, bleeding to death and, you know, going into a coma and eventually dying and her body being returned to her parents. Um, so, um, you know, and it's not just women who are oppressed, it's religious minorities, it's LGBTQ populations, it's, um, you know, anyone who is rising up to say what is happening is not okay. Um, so that's kind of what's happening. And they imprison and arrest and uh, put people in custody. I think at some point there were like 80,000 people in prison um, because of speaking up. So um, it's it's just, and then there are in the prison system, there is uh, torturing that goes on, interrogation, um, these uh, false, uh, they make people you know, say falsehoods and say, you know, I did the wrong thing. I'm so sorry on social media to like make them look like they're apologetic for their protest. Um, so it's like playing with people's minds um, saying either you do this or we will hurt your family. Either you do this or you're never going to leave prison. Um, so it's really using psychological um, uh techniques to try to oppress people and make them sick, um, which is why we now have a revolution in our hands because people have had enough. There's enough young people who are in touch with the outside world and see what's going on in the internet and they have access to social media. So they're no longer um, as oppressible as they have been in the past. Um, and the state is trying everything it can to still oppress them. It sounds a lot like terrorism, using kind of trauma on a large scale to uh, trauma and, and in, in multiple modes, you know, also through uh, sort of destruction of, of reputation and identity um, to control behavior. Now, yeah. in our... Oh, sorry. Yes. No, Did you want to say something? 
Well, I I wanted to draw on something you said, Nusheen, in our last episode. You were talking about feeling surprised learning about psychiatry's role in oppression of women in the United States when you had recognized that same theme in Iran. Now, I know that you know you were um, growing up in Iran. It was a long time ago, but uh, so you, I understand if you aren't um, fully aware of you know, how much psychiatry is an extension of the state or, you know, all of that. But what was the general perception that you had as a young girl in Iran or your family had of of psychiatry? Uh, You know, I, I don't ever remember hearing the word psychiatry my entire time in Iran. Um, I remember hearing like people say so-and-so is crazy, is not acting right. But I don't ever remember anybody, like, I think the the shame around someone needing psychiatric services was probably so tremendous that in my little bubble, uh, no one, no, I didn't hear it. Um, so... I'm sure there were psychiatrists back then, but they're very small minority of doctors. I mean, even within America, psychiatry is not, you know, the the largest subspecialty by any means. But in Iran, it's probably significantly more so uh, that it's it's really um, I think what's happening both with the pandemic, but also with the women life freedom movement is things that before weren't talked about are finally getting out into the open. So uh, mental health needs, for example, uh, suicide pandemics, um, substance use, um, loneliness, you know, things that maybe people just didn't talk about as much. But now um, I, I feel like there's a, collective awareness that is rising and so I'm asked on you know BBC Persian and various channels to come and talk about mental health issues Uh, and I never got asked to do that you know in the past 30 years that I've lived here (laughs) so there's an awareness of there are things we should be talking about that we haven't been and now is an opportunity Absolutely. And a lot of our conversation is making me think about the fear that women in Iran might have and carry right now and the trauma that seeing fellow Iranians, both men and women and people who describe, like go by different um, pronouns of they, them, just all just seeing people suffering, the challenges of sitting with that and navigating your society when you feel unsafe. I'm curious, as a psychiatrist and working with many individuals and communities in trauma, how do you feel the field of psychiatry in Iran would respond, if they can, since the system they're working in is challenging itself? Yeah, it's really, really complicated. Uh, So some of the physicians who were murdered were those who were helping those who were injured or psychiatrically impacted or, you know, traumatized. So 
so you have a systemic oppression of the helpers of those who need the help. Um, however, it, it, the, the really fascinating part is instead of there being more, more fear, people are more fierce. You know, like I just talked to one of our uh, amazing psychologists who lives in Iran and was arrested um, a month ago. She was arrested and uh, I won't mention her name, but her story is incredible. So she's probably in her 30s. She is a wonderful, you know, brilliant young woman, beautiful. And uh, she was arrested and she was interrogated for hours and hours and hours and hours about what is mindfulness? What is um, self-care? What is meditation? Um, and so she was responding, you know, to the best of her ability, the science of meditation and mindfulness and, you know, whatever the things that they were asking her. And they said, ah, oh, this is how you guys as psychologists are poisoning the minds of the masses. You are teaching people to think outside what the what the religious hierarchy wants you to feel and think and behave. And you're using self-care and mindfulness and, and these techniques to, you know, um, lead people astray. It's and almost so like can, a witch hunt, it sounds like. You can imagine. I'm like hearing this and I'm like, but, you know, you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> uh, so that's, so you imagine like a very well-renowned psychiatrist or whatever, or psychologist, uh, they, they can't practice their profession. You know, <laughs> this is the scientifically evidenced uh, work that uh, people are doing. And they're told that uh, we're going to threaten to take away your life, your threaten your family, because you are, um, messing with people's minds it's it's like complete the opposite the like the pot calling the kettle black one of the things that we use as a field in order to keep people safe is attempting to bolster hope um it sounds like you have some hope that there will be social change despite you know this is a country with nuclear weapons with massive military capability to suppress people um, I say nuclear weapons just to kind of point out how well resourced the defense arm of this country is. What gives you hope here? That's such a great question. A few things give me hope. One is the fierceness, fierceness and the fearlessness of the young people in Iran. So just this the psychologist I was telling you, I was talking to her and she's like, I can't wait to go back out there and, and do what I do and help my patients wow. for a month. They wouldn't let me have internet to talk to my patients and I can't wait to go talk to them because they need me. Uh, so like that was her response to a month of interrogation and torture. And I don't even know what she faced. Um, and you have, you know, millions of people like her who not only are they not afraid, but it's like every oppression has another thousand people rising. Every uh, attempt to suppress is uh, oppress is, is having another million people aware. So because, uh, so there's the, the power of nuclear weapons and money, 
And then there's the power of millions of people waking up. And, you know, who am I to say what what is stronger? But what I do know is that the the Persian culture, the the thousands of years old, um, vast array of richness that Iran has, um, that gives me hope. You know, um, the 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 roots are very deep. So even though the oppression tries to, you know, hit at the roots and try to get rid of it and try to weaken the resiliency of the people, uh, they stand on thousands of years of wars and and troubles and and whatever. The third thing that gives me hope is that I myself completely lost hope when I was in my early 20s. Um, I was depressed, I was anxious, I wanted to end my life, and I truly did not feel like I could ever be a doctor, I could ever help people, or that I would ever get better. And this is 20 years later, and, you know, I was lucky, I was, you know, to have the resources I needed, to have the slender threads of mystery come together, and move me from where I was then to where I am now. And I think to myself, if if I could be in that much darkness and I could become who I am now, anything is possible. Um, so I think those things um, really give me hope. Wow. What a amazing story of perseverance and, and hope and um, success. If you're just joining us, you're listening to KUCR, and this is the show, Let's Get Psyched, and we're talking with uh, Dr. Nusheen Ranjbar. Nusheen, I'm kind of interested in maybe a little bit about, so the folks in Iran, women in Iran in particular, there's incredible uh, trauma and oppression. What could you recommend or what would you recommend or how? what are you recommending to cope with such an incredible, insane situation how can they maintain and strengthen parts of themselves even during this kind of uh, traumatic experience yeah thank you for that question uh so because the trauma is collective the response needs to be collective and that's exactly what we're seeing um there are interprofessional networks from the iranian diaspora outside forming like you wouldn't believe it thousands and thousands of professionals doctors lawyers writing grants creating networks providing resources sending internet capabilities to people in iran coaching them mentoring them teaching them skills providing um, all kinds of educational programmings on on um like satellite tv that they can get even if the internet is down (laughs) so uh, so the the collective action is tremendous, and uh, and so what's happening is is so what I tell the women in Iran is you are not alone. Like the entire world is rising up to meet you, and uh, and they feel it. You know what I hear from them is is hope, 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 particularly because they see how 
their voices are being heard. So part of our trauma relief program um, with the Center for Mind-Body Medicine trains, um, you know, 50 to 100 professionals at a time in Iran and in the diaspora in a a group model and um, curriculum in in trauma relief, utilizing mind-body medicine. So we use everything from the arts, drawings, and music, and movement, and meditation, and breath work to uh, creating safe spaces for people to release some of what they're holding on to and express in form of words and writing and and um, and drawings um, some of the pain that they've been holding in for so long. And so what happens is these small groups over time end up becoming little communities of support, of authenticity, of trust, of uh, people that, you know, you can count on for anything. And so, and so what happens is these professionals are trained and then they go and bring these tools and these groups to hundreds and thousands of other people in their communities. And there's specific curriculum for working with children and another one with working with adults. So, and then we supervise them and mentor them over time so they don't feel alone that they're like going and supporting all these people who've just been released from prison and they don't, you know, it's, it's hard work. So they have a lot of networks of support. And, and so the, the, it's exhilarating to me to see how they participate. They, you know, stay up until three in the morning because of the time zone differences so that they can not miss any part of, you know, what is being offered. Um, and they help each other. So I hear of incredible stories of this person was released from prison. This other person from this other city meets them and, and goes and, you know, takes care of them or, or gives them resources or supports them. Um, and, and so those uh, strengthening the fabric of society is what helps because when you're traumatized and you're alone, that is like a gazillion times worse than when you're traumatized and you have an entire network of support and love and care. And the network you're describing sounds absolutely tremendous for individuals that are listening and also our team here. How have people heard about the Center for Mind Body Medicine, how do people get involved to help in supporting and increasing that network? Yeah, so I've learned about the Center for Mind Body Medicine when I was a second year psychiatry resident, <laughs> because I was really burned out. And someone said, here, go to this, it might help you. And it did. That was now, I don't know, almost 18 years ago. And um, it shifted my, my thinking, my belief system about what psychiatry is and could be. It was founded by a psychiatrist, Dr. James Gordon, um, out of Georgetown University. And uh, and it's been around for 30, 35 years. So they, tra- they, ha- they have a train the trainer model of training, you know, hundreds to support thousands is kind of their logo. Um, but then you don't have to be a psychiatrist to get trained. So you can be a medical student, you can be a resident, you can be a psychologist, you can be uh, a social activist, you can be a teacher, because um, they're not um, meant to be therapy, they're meant to be educational, um, community building, and self-awareness forming groups. And of course, if you're a psychiatrist, you can also uh say you're you know you're providing treatment and therapy through them but they're not meant to only be 
provided by um, MDs. And so, so what's great is, you know, it helped me tremendously. And then I started working with Native American communities and saw how um, culturally congruent the system can be for them. And then when the Iran opportunity came up, it was just a natural for me to to make that segue to do something little for for my own country. So when you're talking about working with I- Iran compared to, um, you know, your own application as as a burned out psychiatrist, and then and then working with oppressed communities here, shifting to a much more current, violent, immediate oppression of like to give the case of your friend like you know thirty days of torture or something like that. Um, what adaptations have you had to make to deal with that? So, um, you know, the, the, the beauty of the, the, the Center for Mind-Body Medicine model is that it's pretty adaptable. So a group that is led in the Pine Ridge Reservation might have smudging of sage at the beginning of the group, might have a Lakota prayer sung, if that's what that group, you know, uh, likes to sing. Uh, a group held online in Iran uh, is going to have its own uh, flavor, so to speak. Um, and the biggest uh, change or adaptation we are continuing to have to incorporate is safety security of of the people who are not already traumatized so the last thing they need is to now you know be traumatized even further because they're trying to get help so um so everything that we are trying to do is grassroots so you know we um really support people to invite other people they know to the the groups um and to kind of stay connected to people that they can have in their trusting uh, circle of professionals, friends, community members. And that's the challenging part because my my biggest fear is their safety, Um, like this woman, for example. In in work with, you know, populations under these circumstances, I imagine there's a lot of ethical issues that you have to kind of grapple with about um, if they're finding their meaning and maybe they're kind of, dare I say, logotherapy in in some of what they're doing and wanting to continue these these protest actions that may lead to their death, um, how do you advise them in, in a values-based way if some of those values are endangering them? Yeah, it's really, it's really, really hard. Um, you're reminding me that one of our trainees has been in prison for nine months now. Um, and she's like one of the best, the the best human I have ever met, um, just filled with light. Uh, when she was facilitating her group, she had a waiting list of 100 people wanting to be in her group because she was so amazing. And now she's been in prison for nine months. Um and you know, for me as the, the the leader, the 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 actor in in this whole movement with this trauma work, uh, first of all, I have to check my own ego and and stay humble and stay grounded, and and not to um, 
uh, think that nothing bad's ever going to happen because I mean, all the bad things are already happening. That's why we're trying to do this work. So, but it's really hard because of course I feel guilty, you know, and, and don't want to add to the harm. So we have these very open, authentic conversations with the professionals who are coming to these trainings because I'm not going to tell them don't come and I'm not going to tell them you have to come. So they get to choose at any moment if they want to be involved or not or how much. Um, And they do it because it's helping them sleep at night. It's helping them, you know, have a little bit more of a clear mind. It's helping them feel like they're doing something for their fellow humans. Um, And that I'm never going to take away from anyone. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Let's Get Psyched. Today, we talked about uh, the oppression and trauma uh, of women in Iran with expert Dr. Nusheen Ranjbar. Nusheen, thank you for joining us on this edition of Let's Get Psyched. It's been an absolute pleasure. And also thank you to our co-hosts, Tosha Yamaguchi, Al Atkins, and Yasmin Dakama. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions for the show, you can write us at getpsychedonkucr at gmail.com. You can listen to past episodes of Let's Get Psyched on your favorite streaming platform, as well as enjoy an extended version of the show. If you like tonight's show, please follow us and post a review. This episode was recorded remotely in our homes. Our producer is Elliot Fong. Our production assistant is Yasmin Dakama. I've been your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks. Tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched.